Hello and welcome back to another episode of Celluloid Jelly, the podcast featuring a couple of X-Video store guys who just love talking about movies. Uh, we're off to a good start here. I'm CJ Talbot and uh, my normal co-host Cesar Alejandro Jr. could not be with us this week. Uh, so if I'm still going to give him a little bit of a plug, uh, please visit filmsmash.com to read his reviews and he'll be back with us next week. Um, in the meantime, uh, we have a uh, frequent contributor to the podcast. Uh, Miss Chelsea Dove is going to talk about this this week's movie. Hey, Chelsea. Hello. This is super awkward without Cesar. <laughs> <laughs> well, we'll see how it goes. His, his presence is missed. Yeah, Cesar, you are you are missed. Um, so, um, how are you doing? Good. Good. Okay. Um, you know, um, we don't normally. Do this. Yeah, we don't normally do this. Uh, recorded. We talk about movies a lot, but not necessarily like this. Um, have you seen anything recently that you want to recommend? That's what Cesar and I usually do, as you know. So um, I know we just saw a movie together recently. Do you want to talk about that real quick? We saw Mamma Mia 2. Here I go again. Um, here we go again? Here we go again. Okay. Which was fun. Uh, I, I like the first movie a lot. It's just kind of silly and zany and crazy and and this one was not quite as fun as the first one but it did have a lot of really great moments that made me laugh out loud and lily james as the young um donna is she's just very fun to watch she just looks like she's having fun the whole time i would say everybody looks like they're having yeah, a good time it, it, it was probably a really great set to be on probably um and uh you know we after the the movie we talked a little bit about how pierce brosnan just uh, can't sing a lick, no. uh, but looks like he's having a tremendous amount of fun. Um, he's just he's just happy to be there. He and... he didn't sing as much in this one as he did in the first one, but like <laughs> thankfully. <laughs> <laughs> but I actually thought that his um, little reprise of SOS was very was very touching because he wasn't like. It was just a very quiet moment that I thought was very nice. This one definitely tries to pull on your heartstrings a oh, little bit, yeah. definitely. Yeah. Um, so, and, and uh, you know, uh, I guess we'll go spoiler-free on this, but uh, Meryl Streep's not in the movie as much as she is in the first one. No, but her her uh, few minutes that she has in the film are very, for me, they were very powerful. Okay. So. Um, uh, did, you, did you enjoy Cher and her performance? Yeah, I mean, she just like Meryl Streep, she's not in it for very much. No. Um, I mean, she, Cher's great. My grandmother is a huge Cher fan, so I like grew up listening to some of her songs and, and things when I had like, travel with my grandmother. It was always on in the car. Um, but she's fine, but I, I actually really liked um, the younger cast. Like, the flashback scenes were my favorite. Yeah, I thought they, they did a, a pretty good job of of not necessarily casting lookalikes for the older actors um, and actresses, but uh, but just kind of capturing their spirit. Even though um, I would have been just as happy if, like, in the first movie, when they show, like, their younger versions, it's just the older guys in, like, makeup and different costumes. They should have done had, a whole movie If like they that. had done that, that would have been that, great. That would have been beautiful. But, <laughs> but I did like the younger the younger cast. And um, the, the I think my favorite number was Waterloo with the young... Harry, the young Colin Firth character. Right, in, in the in bar. The, in the French bar, yeah. Right. I, okay. I thought that number was a lot of fun. Um, I I thought they did a good job casting. Uh, I don't remember their names because no. it's, you know... Other than Lily James, Mama they're Mia. all kind of unknowns um, But uh, the, the girl who plays the young Christine Baranski... Oh I, I thought was very good. Well, I love Christine uh, Baranski yeah. in that. She's, she's so, uh, you know, it's funny because Christine Baranski comes from like a, a theatrical background. Um, and so she has that very sort of uh, 
long-winded, very dramatic pauses and mm-hmm. elongates her words and things like that. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that's going to kind of flow right into um, the, the movie that we're going to talk about True. in a little while. Um, but yeah, I you know, not being a huge fan of the first movie, I thought Mamma Mia 2 was, you know, it was all right. It was fine. <laughs> it was all right. <laughs> it was fun. It, and that's, I think, it's not trying to do anything like, groundbreaking or anything crazy but it's just a fun yeah well you had a great time I and did. i had a great time just being there with you because uh you know anytime you would you know kind of snicker or chuckle or or, or snort with laughter <laughs> um it it certainly made my experience a little bit more enjoyable but i mean overall i yeah i thought it was pretty good and there's a like a, a frivolous nature mm-hmm. to to this um, this franchise, franchise, if you want to call yeah. it that, I you know hopefully they don't do a third one. I want a third one. <laughs> I want a third one. <laughs> what so bad. possible story could they tell? Oh, I'm um, sure they'll find a way. <laughs> if this movie, if this makes a lot of money, I'm, I'm sure you're right. Um, but yeah, it, it's it's. Uh, I don't know if effervescence is the right mm-hmm. term or whatever, but like it's one of those things where all they're attempting to do the entire movie is put images and sounds on screen that will make you feel good. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, and, and uh, you know, I, I guess it's it's mildly there, successful. There are moments, I think, that tug at your heartstrings. Like in the first one, the the number that always, like, gets me and makes me a little teary-eyed is um, the number between Donna and Sophie. Sophie. Um, when they're getting Amanda ready, Seyfried. Amanda Seyfried and Meryl Streep, and they're getting ready, ready for the wedding, and they're like sitting in the chair, and Meryl Streep is painting her nails. I can't think of the song, but that always like makes me a little like. Yeah. Uh, Amanda Seyfried does quite a bit of singing she's in good. this one as well, yeah. and she's very good. Uh, I like her. Um, I, you know, again, kind of tying into this week's movie, uh, she has like an old Hollywood style beauty. She, mm-hmm. Like, if you look her directly in the face. Her eyes are like a little bit further apart than mm-hmm. a lot of people's, and uh, like when she was younger, um, it, it was it was very striking. Like it was much more obvious that she looked and and I don't I, there's there's no good way to say this, but like almost alien like in that way. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, she's really like you know she's really a, a beautiful, attractive woman mm-hmm. in that kind of like singular. She doesn't look like every other actress out there mm-hmm. kind of way. Um, and you mentioned Lily James, who is beautiful as well, but, um, she has that sort of like Midwestern, I know she's British, but like that sort of like Midwestern, like plain face, like natural beauty to her. And whereas Amanda Seyfried has more of like a otherworldly. Yeah. Like, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And that's maybe a good way to describe it. So, um, but anyway, so, you know, Mama Mia, uh, I guess, you know, it's good. <laughs> good. Good. Mama Mia. And, here we I go mean, again this last week we other than the two mama mias and last night we watched that football movie uh necessary roughness which i, I which is really like I, I i i can't say 100 percent, but i think it's cesar's favorite football movie really so it's too bad that cesar's not here to talk about it but uh Yes, you know, Scott Bakula and young baby face young Jason, Jason Bateman and Sinbad. Um, uh, and um, Hector the guy from, I was going to say Hector Alessandro from and the, Robert the Lagoja. And, um, I mean, you know, it it's, it's a packed cast. You know, you had Kathy Ireland as the kicker, mm-hmm. and, and who was at the time, you know, not necessarily anymore, but at the time she was very famous. Mm-hmm. Um, 
It's a good and it's fun. underdog story, which it's, I love. It's funny because um, if you've ever seen The Replacements, which being from Baltimore was, you know, because it was shot in Baltimore at Raven Stadium, which mm-hmm. was at the time PSI Net Stadium, I guess, before it became M&T Bank Stadium. Um, uh, I know quite a few people who were extras in that movie. Mm-hmm. Uh, when that production rolled into town, it was a big deal. So that was a, a big thing for people of Baltimore, even though it's in the movie The Washington Sentinels. Um but that movie and Necessary Roughness have, like, I mean, it's so close, it's almost, like, cribbing. Like, it's the almost story. the same. Yeah, yeah, the sort of, like, ragtag band of, like, losers who have to go up against, you know, the stronger, more professional teams. Yeah. And, um, but it, it's a fun movie, and there's some really dumb stuff in it. Yeah. But at the same time, there's, there's you know, there's a couple of good laughs. I think Robert Lugosia is hilarious in it. Like, he's my favorite part of it. Like, he's the, he's the other coach. Okay. The... Riggs. Yes, Riggs. Yeah, I like so, him. So I like him a lot. So. I liked his his uh, half. You didn't even speech. recognize Jason Bateman at first. I no. had to point him out to you. No, yeah. not in the first scene he was in. Once, yeah, he he looks so young. Once he and comes back, longer yeah. hair and he has that same like smarmy way of talking like yeah. <laughs> that well, he I, just has that I, I love. I, I'm 99 percent sure this was after Teen Wolf two. Um, so, I mean, and Jason Bateman had had a, a hit TV series, um, as well. So I, you know, at the time he was, he was well-known mm. and that was back when Sinbad was a big stand-up comic and he was well-known. So but other than it's those, a little bit of a time capsule. Other than those three movies, like the past week, we haven't really watched anything. We've been real busy with, with guests. And, and, uh, and yes, vacation stuff. Mm-hmm. So yeah. yeah, but we had a good time. So um, so, uh, what are, what are we discussing in, uh, this episode, Miss Chelsea? We are discussing all about Eve, um, which is a movie from 1950. Um, we've, I've wanted to watch it. We, it's been like on my radar. Um, but when you asked me to do the podcast, I came up with like a little list of things and you've never seen it either. That's so right. It's kind it was of a nice first time watch for me. To watch something like together that we both hadn't seen before. So... Yeah. All about uh, well, yeah. Let me let me give a little like uh, a little backstory here um, because you know all about Eve is is a, about um, Broadway. It's about the theater, mm-hmm. and um, I, you know Chelsea, you know doesn't like to toot her own horn, um, but uh, as well as being a former Suncoast employee working with Cesar and I at the video store, um, she also has uh, a theater background mm-hmm. uh, and has worked in Baltimore Community Theater uh, in a couple different places. Uh, and with you know a lot of people, and has been very successful. A lot of different roles. And yes, uh, as a stage manager and, director, and as a director actor. Of, a, of, an, of an award-winning uh, play, Commander. Yeah. Um, so, uh, you know, and, and written I, by Mario Correa. There you go. A little shout out there, <laughs> a shout Mario. Out to Mario. Um, so I mean, so you you know this scene, not on the Broadway level, but you know mm-hmm. this type of people. This type of community. Yes, I do. Um, and, and some of the things that I, I assume you'll let me know because we yeah. haven't, we've been very careful not to discuss this, mm-hmm. um, but you'll let me know as we're talking, you know, how much of this rings true, how much of this translates to a modern setting and a modern theater community, um, and, and whether you know people like this, you know, without saying any names. <laughs> um, so, but, uh, so this is, this is something I'm excited to talk about just simply yeah. from, from that perspective. That's why I wanted to do this movie because you have, you know, such a, a background with mm-hmm. this that I do not have. Yeah. So, 
hopefully you're going to bring a, a different perspective. Now, <laughs> we'll what is All About Eve about? Um, can, so, you, can you give the folks at home a little synopsis? Uh, I'm really bad at summaries. So All About Eve is about um, 40-year-old actress Margot Channing, uh, who is at the peak of her career, and she's working in a show on Broadway called... Um, Oh my gosh, I forgot the name of the first show. Aged in Wood, where she's playing the lead character. Um, and one night, her friend Karen, who is the wife of the playwright of the play that she's in, introduces her to a star-struck fan named Eve, who claims to have seen every single one of the performances of the show and is a huge fan of, of Margot's. Uh, and that meeting kind of spirals into Margot becoming her benefactress and taking her under her wing. And continues along into Margot's life kind of getting flipped upside down as Eve slowly starts to take over more and more of her her life and her fame. Sure, and what seems very sweet at and the innocent. onset sort of uh, sours or curdles yeah. uh, and, and Eve becomes uh, a threat to Margot yeah. and her career. Exactly. So, yeah, and very, very well done. her love life. Perhaps. Perhaps. Well, which we'll talk perhaps about. Perhaps not. Which um, we'll, we'll talk yes, about. Yes, we will, we will get into that a little bit. Um, so, you know, first time watch for both of us. This is a 1950 movie. So for anybody who hasn't seen it, this is black and white, you know, in an, in an era that, uh, you know, obviously color movies existed, uh, technicolor movies and uh, epic cinemascope pictures. Um, uh, but this is, you know, a smaller film, but it's, you know, some big name stars uh, this came out from 20th Century Fox, and uh, and it ended up uh, getting nominated for 14 Academy Award nominations, which is tied for the most with Titanic and most recently La La Land. Right, and and it won uh, a good number of them, including Best Picture, Best Supporting Actor, and we'll talk more about uh, George yes. Sanders uh, later, um, who is is without a doubt uh, an incredible performer. Um, mm-hmm. And uh, I think it won like a sound award, and I think director and screenplay were both won by Joseph Mankiewicz. Did not win Best Actress though. It did not. It was the first Split vote. the first time um, two actresses from the same movie had been nominated in the same category in history. Oh, I did uh, not know that. Yes, and it has since happened quite a few times. Um, and uh, you guys can Google this and let me know if I'm wrong. Just tweet at me or whatever. But I think. It's happened five times, and only one time has anyone from any movie that's been split won. Mm. Do you know who um, it is? I don't remember. Okay. Um, so, but you guys can check that out on your own. Because I, I honestly think if if Ann Baxter had been nominated as supporting, they both would have won. Betty Davis uh, for lead and, and Ann Baxter for it, supporting. It's certainly but possible. Um, but split. Judy Halliday uh, won that for, year, Born for Born Yesterday, Yesterday, which is a play that I have that I have worked on. Um, and that was also the same year that Sunset Boulevard came out. Uh, so, um, you know, that was a big year for uh, terrific, large female performances. Mm-hmm. And this is, I guess, maybe Betty Davis's signature performance. This saved and, her career I, on that documentary I watched. It, she mentioned it, like, revitalized her career. It, she, she has been very open about that. I, I, as far as, like... What's what's your history with Betty Davis movies? How many this was is this the, the only one you've one seen? I've seen. Okay, I've I se- knew her name, and I've I've seen like they have that like compilation from like AMC of like the top hundred movie quotes, and I've seen that 
fasten your seatbelts, it's going to be a bumpy night. Like, I've seen that, but I hadn't, have not had Which any, is from this movie. Which is from this movie. But I had never seen her in anything, um, but now I definitely would like to watch more of her, because I, I, she's my favorite part of the movie. She, she's great, and uh, I, I've seen only a handful of Betty Davis movies. Mm-hmm. So, so this, this was a, a good, you know, a good movie to, to kind of get back into, into that. Uh, I've seen Jezebel and uh, whatever happened to Baby Jane and a couple others, I think. Mm-hmm. Um, the Letter, maybe. Mm-hmm. Um, so, uh, but yeah, I, I mean, this is a, this is considered to be one of the the great female lead performances of all time. Yeah, um, I can see deservingly that. so. I yeah, think she's phenomenal. Yeah. So let's let's get into this a little bit. Um, so. Uh, the, the opening scene um, begins... I, I like the structure of this movie. Mm-hmm. I, don't know, I, I don't know whether, whether you enjoyed this or not, but the, the movie is basically uh, 85% one large flashback, mm-hmm. but it's cut up into the point of view of three different people. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's the, um, the George Sanders character, Addison DeWitt, who is yeah. the film... Or the theater critic, sorry. Yeah. Um, and then you mentioned the Celeste Holm character, Karen, Karen, who is the wife of the, of the playwright. Lloyd Richards. Um, Mrs. Richards. And her point of view is, is pivotal in this movie as well. Mm-hmm. And then uh, the last point of view is Margot's. Mm-hmm. Um, and then at the tail end, you get a little bit of, of evil. Yeah, the, the tail end, you do, you do get uh, one scene essentially but there's never there's never any voiceover from eve no but yeah margo karen and addison are the three voiceovers yeah and i think it's very difficult um i don't normally like movies that switch perspective like that a lot because i don't think it's done very well or i don't think it's very well constructed or thought out a lot of times Mm -hmm. um but if uh for anybody out there listening uh if you've seen goodfellas the way they sort of switch perspective back and forth between Lorraine Bracco and Ray Liotta is kind of what they're doing here in this movie. Okay. Um, and uh, and even though I'm not a huge fan of it on paper, in the movie it works out really well. I think it's done very smartly. Mm-hmm. And I don't think they ever break a rule. Uh, I don't think you ever see anything that would not specifically come from that person's point of view. Mm-hmm. Every time there's a scene played out, it is very specifically designed um, to be from, like, for example, Karen's point of view, mm-hmm. in, 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 you know, in many cases. Yeah. Um, so, you know, it's, it's, a, it's a well-crafted screenplay. It's smart. It's got really sharp dialogue. Mm-hmm. Um, and all of that kind of kicks off uh, at this uh, award ceremony. Mm-hmm. The Sarah um, Sitton Society. Correct. Which did not exist at the time of the movie. But, but now it does. It does now. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> because of this I, movie. I heard about that. <laughs> um, but yeah, so we're introduced to uh, the theater critic first. Yeah. Addison DeWitt uh, has the voiceover. Um, and he's sort of introducing you to all the major players. So you've got um, Eve Harrington, Margot Channing, which is the Betty Davis character. And, and Ann Baxter, we should say, plays Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, and she's quite good in the movie as well. She's great. Well, we'll get into that yeah. a little bit later, actually, because I, I, I agree, but there's a piece of me that thinks that she's also a little bit bland in some scenes too. So, mm. um, but you know, anyway, uh, so there's getting, also Lloyd. So yeah, you get uh, Lloyd Richards, who's who the is the playwright. Bill Sampson, 
And Bill is the director. And, and Bill's also... Uh, well, Lloyd is married to Karen. Karen. And Bill is... Um, Romantically Romantically linked with, with Margot. Margot. Uh, on again, off again, kind of, you know, whatever. Like a... Um, um, they have a very tumultuous kind of relationship. It's sure. implied well, that artists. they all that they always that they fight a lot. Yeah. Um, um, but the opening scene is great. You forgot about um, Max Fabian. Uh, and Max <laughs> Fabian is the producer, and it, he's not a major player in the no, movie, though. I, but I he's mean, fun. You know, <laughs> he he's there because he's plays the producer, have a producer, and that's what they do. And uh, he has a couple of funny moments mm-hmm. in the movie, I think. Um, but ultimately, he's not that consequential of a character. No. Um, he doesn't, he doesn't really affect any of the interpersonal dynamics that are happening in this movie. And, th- and that's what this movie is really about, mm-hmm. uh, is, is the, the relationships between the characters and how Eve tests, uh, those relationships and changes them throughout the picture, uh, on her way climbing up the ladder, as they say, or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so, but, uh, the, one of the, one of the things that I really like about the opening scene is the use of that freeze frame. Mm-hmm. Um, when Eve is accepting the award, because we are um, coming from the the perspective of Addison DeWitt, the theater critic, um, the the freeze frame reinforces that we are coming from a subjective point of view, ultimately. Um, and between that and the voiceover, it makes this opening scene uh, very cinematic. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I, I really like immediately I was kind of like pulled into it uh, and even though they use this freeze frame um, they cut back and forth between that the frozen image and, and Addison moving right exactly yeah. so so you could tell that um, you know that we are 100% getting just his perspective mm-hmm. and he's in control right as, as he is throughout the movie as we'll find out um so, uh, but you do not like Addison. No, right? I absolutely and do not. Was it an immediate turn off? Um, pretty much. <laughs> um, I don't really like critics, um, like especially theater critics. Um, uh, it, it remind like he reminds me. It made me immediately think of um, Birdman. My favorite scene in Birdman is when Michael Keaton just like goes off at the critic because they sit there. They don't do any of the work, but they just kind of see themselves as being kind of up here judging everybody. And, like, not all critics are like that. I know some critics who are good who have been involved in theater and have, like, gone and, like, reviewed other shows. But he is, like, exactly what's wrong with, like, not only is he what's wrong with critics, but he's what's wrong with theater snobs in general because he is 100% a theater snob. But I don't know if he's ever been involved in the theater other than being a critic. But, like, he... Like, he... There's a scene at the party, which we can talk about later if you want, um, where he is kind of talking about how, like, the theater people are just so much better than civilized society. And it's just, it, like, that's what he, drives me nuts about he theater people sometimes. He is an absolute elitist. Oh, 100%. Um, but I, I think this I've movie with comes people. at it from that perspective that these people are all part of that elitist. Not Bill, though. Well, Which is why that, Bill is one of my favorite characters. Uh, well, the, the, the Bill tirade um, when the night he meets Eve, when he talks about mm-hmm. um, theater being um, anywhere uh, where you create performance, or you know whether it be a movie or whether it be 
you know, that Broadway is not exclusively what the theater is. I like, that's one of my favorite speeches in the movie. He says, wherever there's magic and make-believe in an audience, there's theater. And in college, there's, I read, um, we read some articles by this guy named Peter Brook, who is um, like a theater scholar. And he wrote a book in 1968 called The Empty Space. And he has this quote where he says, I can take empty space and call it a bare stage. A man walks across an empty space while someone else is watching him, and that's all it needs for an active theater to start. And like that's why I like Bill, because I theater should be accessible to everybody, and Addison thinks that it's like not. That it's yeah. only for people who are up here, not for everybody. Yeah, well, Bill strikes me uh, because of his manner, um, and, and uh, please remind me who plays Bill. Oh, um, <laughs> I don't have it written down. Gary Merrill. Okay. Uh, who was, uh, after this movie, ended up marrying Betty Davis. And they divorced, and then they divorced 10, ten years, years later. later. Um, yes. <laughs> uh, but uh, his manner um, seems to be not elite, but very blue collar to mm-hmm. me. Uh, so they don't get into his background or what mm-hmm. his parents did or anything like that. But um, he does not come at the theater from from that same perspective. He is He is not necessarily an outsider. Um, but he is more inclusive, mm-hmm. uh, more interested in inclusivity. Uh, and that's what makes theater fun and not when it's like elitist. Because right. I've worked with people who see theater as this kind of like, um, I think he uses the term like this ivory green room where it's like all like, I don't I can't think of the word I'm looking for, like where it's very elite and like very insider and it should only be for people who are smart and intellectual and like who get it but like theater I think is at its best when when it's for everybody I mean Shakespeare wrote for people who were illiterate so like like theater is not Shakespeare played to the mob yeah yeah so like for Addison to like like that's why I just don't like sure well I his character irritates me from start to finish yeah the thing I like about that scene with Bill and Eve is that Eve is sort of regurgitating things that she reads from critics Mm -hmm. and uh and I, there's a line where she says that she reads Addison DeWitt every day, and he says, you didn't need to tell me. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and he detests that condescension mm-hmm. uh, that comes with, you know, from people who think that anything less than Broadway is, is somehow lesser. Mm-hmm. It is not up to the same standard. Um, however, going back to, you know, like Addison... Um, I, I think that there is a real appreciation for the art, though. There is. I mean, he, he's a despicable character. I, I want to make that perfectly clear. But when he talks about Eve's performance when she does the, uh, the audition, the audition yeah. um, and, and uh, there are a couple other times. I feel like he's appreciative of that for different reasons, too, though. Like... I think he thinks that her performance is awesome, but I think that he already at that point has ulterior motives, and that's why he's so into. Perhaps, what but she's I think doing. there's a genuine the, when they're on the stairs at the party, mm-hmm. and he's talking about uh, this, I can't remember what it is, but I, I mean there there's there's a level of I think the reason he looks down on a lot of other people is because he feels like they are not appreciative of the art. Mm-hmm. Uh, that goes into it, um, and I think if you go to that scene uh, with Margot, the night she meets Eve, uh, when Karen brings her backstage, but Karen goes into the dressing room first, 
and you get a sense um, that Margot has sort of a love-hate relationship with her celebrity and that the the people who stand out there and get autographs mm-hmm. are, are people that she does not think very highly of. Uh, people like Eve. Mm-hmm. Um, and I don't Eve, remember the quote, but... But, she, but Eve's not there to get autographs. She's... She's there for a specific reason. Well, she is, but I, I but gives she's you a not window that... into Margot, though. Yeah. Uh, and and I think Margot, when she says they're nobody's fans, yeah, is specifically drawing that line between people who appreciate the art and people who are just want to be close to celebrity. I would a hundred percent agree with that because, like, when you go to New York nowadays, going to the stage door is a very big deal, um, and. Audience members now feel like they are somehow entitled to these actors' time. And, like, I know there was a big hullabaloo for Dear Evan Hansen when, like, Ben Platt wouldn't... Like, he didn't want to come out for one show because he was exhausted. And, like, people were tweeting at him, like, really nasty things. Like, like I paid to come see the show and you didn't come out the stage door. So, like, I would agree with her for that. There are people who don't stay and give applause to all of the actors because they are so eager to get out there to be the first in line for an autograph. And those are people who don't appreciate the art. They are after that. Like, Some of them may appreciate it, but they're also there for a different reason. Yeah. And I think, you know, we we recently went to Disney mm-hmm. and we were watching a fireworks show for, uh, <laughs> you know, for Pixar. <laughs> and instead of appreciating the the majesty of the show that they were putting on they put on a great show they and do. they project stuff onto the castle and they have fireworks and, and things they, going yeah back they, have, and they have buzz lightyear and the up house mm-hmm. um you know <laughs> flying across the sky and it and it's it, it's wonderful mm-hmm. and standing back and looking at how many it's like 50 percent of the people are like their phones out, holding yeah. their phones up in the air trying to capture this moment for no other reason than so that they could probably post it on social media and get hits and likes and you know and 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 that is like that is the thing that that I think really frustrates me. Mm-hmm. Um, and I'm and, one of those people. I love to go to the stage door and get autographs and meet people, but like I would never leave until everybody on stage had gotten their applause and gotten their you know, bow and stuff. Like, I, I never leave before the curtain comes down. Right. Like, just... Why? Well, I, I know I, that you, one, you met... Rude. Uh, did you meet Daniel Radcliffe? I met Daniel Radcliffe and John Larroquette. Uh, I got Bo Bridges' autograph mm, from, like, Bridges. like way... I had to, like, reach way over. Um, and then... And we saw Something Rotten together? Something Rotten, yeah. And mm. I'm blanking on all the names of the main people, but we met them. They were all so nice and... But, like, I also, like, when, when my friends and I have gone to New York and stuff, we also, like, say hi to, like, the orchestra members because they place, like, they, they never get, like, people being like, hey, like, great job because, like, everyone's always, like, there for whoever the hot person in right. the show is, whether it's, like, Darren I, Chris or I imagine, and, and we, we kind of, like, steer this back, <laughs> back in, the into, the, into the movie, <laughs> but I imagine that it gets tiresome it, I'm and sure. that there is, there is a quality of a distaste for people just simply chasing the you because of your celebrity and not, not because, because of, the of their appreciation doing. of your work. Yeah. yeah. Um, and I, I think that, I think Margot definitely embodies that with mm-hmm. her attitude. And I think that Sanders, uh, you know, uh, he's, he's because he's the critic He's sort of in the God position. Mm-hmm. He's kind of watching this he can behind make the glass. Break right. 
and, and observing what's happening, you know, with the theater. And one of the reasons why I think he, there's so much anti-Hollywood sentiment in this movie. Mm -hmm. um, and I think a lot of that has to do with the idea that, uh, well, number one, I think there's a, there's a, a thread throughout the movie that Hollywood people are more posh and get paid more, that mm -hmm. there's more money in Hollywood mm -hmm. and that, um, that they're not necessarily any better with their craft, but they're getting rewarded much more for it than people on Broadway. Mm -hmm. But I, I think that there's also an element of uh, that it's just celebrity. Like, mm -hmm. you know, uh, movies reach a wider audience and national coverage is gotten by Movies Wizard are for of Oz. everybody. Theater is... Is elite. It costs a lot of. I don't know. Back it does then, it cost a lot of money. To costs go to the a lot more money to go to New York and see a play, or even go where we are to LA and see a play, than it does to go to a movie. True. So yes. it, it's it, again that movie like, is insider, entertainment for the masses. It's that insider elite. You have to say it like that, darling. It's <laughs> movies are for the masses. <laughs> okay. Can we stop talking about Addison for a while? Because I really dislike. Him. Oh, he's so fucking good. Though. He he is a like. George, George Sanders, Sanders is the man. Does a great job. His he, his delivery of the lines is great. He, he like he's doing his job well because I hate him. I think he's despicable. He preys on these young women and kind of takes them takes them under his wing and like supports them, but then like wants to also control them. And I just find him very smarmy and punchable. I I get I I get the sense watching the movie, and I could be wrong. Um, but I, I disagree a little bit. I, I really think that that is very specific to his relationship with Eve. I don't think so. I don't think that, th that I don't think he has that relationship with the Marilyn Monroe character, even before she kind of flakes out on her audition. Well, I think if she had been as talented as Eve, yes, he would have. That's what he's looking for. He is like almost like a collector. Like he mentions to Margot about like. Um, Eve's performance was a revelation. He said, there's been a couple of revelations. You were one. This person was one. This person was one. All women, by the way, just saying. And, like, he comes in with this young, beautiful woman, and he's, like, um, trying to get her discovered. And when he realizes she's not good enough, he pushes her off to television. He's successful with Eve, but then at the end of the movie, this other girl comes along, and maybe he's going to drop Eve and go after her. Like... I just I find him so gross. He's Maybe. so gross. Yes, he's a little. But that that Ugh. scene with Eve when he when reveals he kinda, his intentions yeah. with her um, is I love that scene. It's a great. scene. I honestly think that it might be my favorite scene in the movie. Mm -hmm. um, and and it doesn't you know obviously doesn't feature you know any of the other major cast. It's just George Sanders and um, Killer to Killer. And uh, Baxter. And Baxter, yes. No, it's a great scene, but like he's just. But there's Eve a is not a character. I think that. that you're supposed to feel sorry for, but in that moment, I feel really sorry for her. I'm not sure that because I mean. he's just so he's just so evil. She thinks she's playing him until yeah, until he reveals that he knows all about her past. Mm -hmm. So when when he talks about how. Like you can't marry Lloyd because I will not permit it, and she she's got she like a smile yeah. on her face, which is great. And she like she has that where she's kind of facing the camera, and he's behind her so that he can't see her face, mm -hmm. and she's sort of like giving like side eye and smiling, like okay, now I've you know now I know I've pushed your buttons the way I wanted to push your buttons, which is what all this movie is about anyway, mm -hmm. and um, and then. It turns again 
because she thinks she has the upper hand at that mm-hmm. point. And then he just tightens the noose. Mm-hmm. And it's it's masterful. Ugh, I fucking so, love that scene. But it's so gross. It's so gross. It's gross. But like, hey, she fucking deserves it. Yeah. I mean, she she is tearing other people's relationships apart to try to get ahead mm-hmm. in the in this game. But anyway, so yeah, so we can we can kind of parking lot George Sanders for a minute, you know. Um what else what else struck you uh, about the film? Um well, I, like I said, I really like Bill. Um one because of like his view on theater and it kind of being more accessible to everybody, but I also love how even after him and Margot like break up, and Eve, like, there's that scene where Eve goes on as her understudy, and then they have that scene in the in her dress in in Margot's dressing room afterwards, where she kind of is like coming on to him, and he is like, "I do not like people to come after me. I go after what I want." Like, even when they're broken up, he still is like, "I'm in love with Margot. Like, I want nothing to do with this." Right, I, like a hundred percent. They they genuinely love each other, and yes. they they are in an environment that is not conducive to mm-hmm. the you know to those kinds of relationships. Um, Cause e- even though Lloyd and Karen are together at the end, like in the middle of the night when L- Lloyd is called by Eve's, whatever roommate person yeah. who lives in her apartment, whatever he gets up and goes, right. Bill would never have done that. He would have hung up the phone. <laughs> so yeah. I like, I like Bill much more than when, than Lloyd. Sure. I, I agree with you. I'm, I'm I, I think they don't Lloyd s- is well-meaning and yes. I don't, I don't think he necessarily has any, designs no, 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 on no. cheating on his wife with Eve. He he just I, I think he especially, likes the attention. I think so too. And especially as, because as maybe all men do. Um but except Bill, because Bill is the true hero of the true. He's so good. I, no, Bill, Bill is, Bill so is good. that rarefied male who is comfortable in his own skin, knows what he wants, mm-hmm. you know, is is and is confident about it. And mm-hmm. um and he's a he's an oak. Mm-hmm. He's he's a pillar. He really he's is. a yeah, he's an example for us all. I really like Bill. <laughs> I, um, I and I I love every scene that Bill and Margot have together. Like the scene at the part, even when they're fighting. Do, like do you want to talk about them. like this this thread of ageism in in uh, theater and acting and 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 how women once they get to a certain age sort of get kind of pushed aside? Yes, I think that's something that. Um, is not as I mean it's still a big deal today, but I think it's not like I th- I feel like 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 forty like like Meryl Streep and Cher we were talking today like Meryl Streep's gonna be seventy and Cher is like seventy three and they're still getting these like awesome parts when ten years ago when Meryl Streep was sixty she was the, like the lead romantic interest. Well, when's the last time you saw Cher in a movie though? Well, that's because Cher doesn't. Like it was burlesque. Cher doesn't. Is that the last? But like, look at like well, but other like no, no, older but, actresses I mean, in Hollywood, Helen Mirren. But um, ha- okay, I guess I, I agree with you. Mm-hmm. I think it's getting better. Yeah, I no, it's still an I, issue. I think they're writing parts for older people in general, both men and women. However, if you look at the number, the sheer number of parts there are for older men, fifteen to thirty-five year olds, mm-hmm. and then look at the parts. For 40 and over, mm-hmm. I, I think it is, uh, I, I mean, it's just such such a gap. That was one of my issues with Lloyd as a character. Like, he's supposed to be a playwright. And theoretically, him and Margot have been friends for years, and he's been writing parts for Margot since she was in her 20s. Yes, they're well, all very they, close. If they are, like, such good friends and, like, and stuff, like, why wouldn't he start to write parts for her 
that fit her age instead of like continuing to write parts for women who are younger and asking her to play in them and then getting upset when you have an older actress playing a younger woman why wouldn't he just not if he's a good playwright which it seems like he is why would he not just write parts for her as a 40 year old instead of as a 20 year old that just that, that bugged me as like a as like a not I, a I, not an issue with the plot or anything like that, but just as like a per like if you're a really good friend and you know your friend is having this kind of like crisis about like I don't want to be playing twenty year olds, I'm forty. Why would you be like okay, I'm a playwright, let me write you a part in a play for a forty year old? Well, I think this all comes to a head during the events of this film. It's not until Bill's coming home party that she can even admit to anyone aside 40. from herself that she has turned forty. But if they've been friends for years, like, he knows that she gets older. Well, but, I mean, that might be one of those unspoken rules where you just don't ask a woman their age. Mm. Like, that's an old adage. You just don't ask women their age. That's an old, like, gentlemanly kind of thing. Mm -hmm. um, so maybe they don't know how old she is. They know generally that she's probably over 35 and Bill's, you know, she's upper 30s, Bill's lower 30s. Well, Karen knows exactly that Bill is eight years younger than her. Yes, but... She knows that he's 32. And I, and I do like that quote where, where she says, you know, he's 32. He looks 32. He looked at five years ago. He'll look at 20 years from now. I, I hate, hate men. men. <laughs> um, and and, and I, I mean, that's, that's one yeah. of those things, you know, like, like men get more distinguished with age. Mm -hmm. and, and women's bodies change. is not over at 40. No. In no. acting. Right. You know, I don't know. I've never been an actor. <laughs> um, but yeah, I, I mean, the, the, the whole thing about, um, you know, Bill doesn't care, mm -hmm. but she's very insecure. Mm -hmm. and, and one of the great things about Margot as a character is that she is incredibly realistic as a, a person you know as somebody that you might know mm -hmm. um because she's incredibly volatile and and uh vital mm -hmm. you know as a human being but she's also incredibly vulnerable um and and that combination to this degree is rarely seen mm -hmm. even in today's movies um and and so it's it's a terrific part i uh, love i i really like her um the only thing i don't like about her is something that just doesn't age with the film from for at least from from my modern perspective is that um she says it in the car and then she says it again um when they're when they're in the car with karen she mentioned some she says something like um um is this the things you leave behind when you climb the ladder thing? that that doesn't bother me as much as that she feels like that she will not be a real woman until she is married and then once she is sure. married she feels like she has to give up not that she feels that she has that, but she wants to give up the theater because she's, she says something about, like, I don't need to spend time playing 20-year-olds because I have nothing to do with my nights anymore. Like, I'm going to be a married woman. I'm going to have stuff to do. And that just, that just for me, like, does not age that well. But, There's like, I also... get it for her for the time that she was living in. Right. But it just, it like, as a modern woman, like, the fact that she feels like she is not a woman because she is not married irritates right. the hell out of me. Well, there is... Um... There's a lot of post-war attitude mm -hmm. in this movie. You know, uh, this is this is basically five years after World War II mm -hmm. ended. You know, g give or take. Um, and 
during those years, women had to step up and take roles that they did not have. They were, they were becoming more professional. They were doing quote unquote men's jobs and they were uh, taking charge of the country mm-hmm. in, in many ways, you know, not, not necessarily in the upper power positions of government because that didn't happen for another couple of decades, you know, it still isn't really happening now, mm-hmm. but, but you know what I mean? Um, but there was this sense of all these people are coming back from war and reintegrating. And these women are essentially expected to kind of take a step backwards. Um, and I think Margot's attitude kind of, uh, is is kind of in line with the thinking of the time mm-hmm. you know the the idea that she is her own woman and she's a professional woman and she's had this career and now it's time to not do that anymore mm-hmm. it's time to be a real woman and have mm-hmm. a family uh, and and do what you know america yeah just what america is built on yeah. you know is that that kind of and that's just the family. only thing that bugs me about the movie but like like, I understand it. It just still bugs me. Because I think she's awesome, and I don't think she, like, n- needs to be married to, like, be awesome. Yeah. It's just like... All right, so let's talk about Eve a little bit. I was going to say, we um, spent a lot of time talking about, about the Eve. <laughs> and we really talked about women. Well, and we I talked about talk, Margot quite a bit. I want to talk about know. Karen, too. I, I, wanna, I definitely want to talk about Karen, mm-hmm. um, because uh, Karen... Well, we could do that first, but... Uh, I, I think it's an extension of talking about Eve because Eve is one of those people that kind of throughout the movie cozies up to anybody that has a little bit more influence or a little bit more power mm-hmm. uh, that can get something done for her. Mm-hmm. Um, and throughout the movie, it is the nicest person. I know you have an issue with Karen over the sabotage, uh, but... Um, How'd you know that? Did I mention it to you? Because you talked about it the other day, and I told you to be quiet. <laughs> Save it for the podcast. <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> I know you have an issue with Karen about the sabotage, but um, uh, Karen is without a doubt the most normal, nice person in the movie, and she's uh, the only one who's not involved in the theater, <laughs> right? But she's also the one that gets taken advantage of the most by Eve. She's the oh. one who brings Eve in. She's yes. the one who uh, who doesn't recognize the malice in Eve's character um, and the darkness, you know, and, and her trying to kind of supplant her best mm-hmm. friend, Margot. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, I, there's the scene when Eve says, um, uh, it's at the party, I think, because Karen's point of view leaves. And, and it comes Margot's back point of view comes in through the party scene. Yeah. And then after the party scene or towards the end of it, Karen's point of view kicks back in. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Karen has a scene with Eve. Up in the... Right, where, the where Eve says, you know, do you, you know I, I want to be the understudy, basically. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and Karen's been out of the loop. She doesn't know that Margot is, is... Done with her. Yeah, like that Eve has overstayed her welcome. Mm-hmm. And that... Uh, and so when she says, I think Margot would cheer, she's so totally wrong. Mm-hmm. She, she's been out of the loop. She doesn't understand her best friend anymore. She doesn't see or recognize the evil in this woman. Mm-hmm. And she gets taken advantage of again. And she is able to put her influence to use for Eve. You know who realizes right away that Eve is evil? Thelma Ritter because she's fucking awesome. <laughs> Birdie. <laughs> Birdie. I love Birdie so much. Eve gives her a little like sob story in the beginning, which is so funny because 
like she's like, oh, you it would you would be boring. And Margot's like, no, I want to hear it. And they start playing this like sad violin music, and she gets all weepy. And Purdy is like. Uh, and she Margo's says, genuinely moved, though. She is. Margo's moved. Uh, and she and has I, Margo I think hook, both Lloyd and Karen are also. Mm-hmm. Um, Bill's not there yet. Bill's not there. Right. And after Eve finishes her story, Birdie's like, what a story. Everything but the bloodhound snapping at her rear end. And right. like, she like knows. Yeah, and it's sharp and it's funny and it's a way to kind of cut a little humor into mm-hmm. that scene, which is good. It's a good piece of screenwriting. It's a mm-hmm. good piece of character work. Um, and, and I hate that she disappears like halfway through the movie. Like after well, the party, you never see her again. And I love her so much. Not that I like that she disappears, but she she is eclipsed. Like she's no longer needed because mm-hmm. Eve basically becomes yeah. the greatest assistant in the universe. Mm-hmm. Um, and and the things that Thelma Ritter's character Birdie used to do for Margot, Eve is now doing. Eve is now taking charge of and basically. Birdie has to take a back seat mm-hmm. uh, and just do. But that. I miss her, right? <laughs> for the but whole movie, Thelma Ritter's terrific, and she's always kind of played those um, n- like no snappy, nonsense yeah. kind of blunt characters, mm-hmm. uh, and she's really great. And and I am sure you know because our listeners you know uh, would probably have seen Rear Window, Alfred Hitchcock's Rear Window. Um, she also plays a very similar character uh, to Jimmy Stewart in Rear Window. Um, she's phenomenal. Um, she's she's a great character actress, uh, and and she's so much fun. Yeah, yeah. And, and to be honest, I, I wish she was in more movies. Yeah. Um, but uh, but yeah, she's she's terrific. Yeah. I kind of kind of cut in on you. That's there, okay. So, that's okay. So, yeah. I really like that. Um... Well, if you want to continue with Birdie, I love the 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 morning after the phone call scene. Oh um, yeah, where Eve places the phone call. For midnight Hollywood Bill's time birthday. for Bill's birthday, right. and we also find out that in that when when Eve is like, oh, I totally forgot to tell you, she mentions that she's been writing to Bill every week. Well, Bill mentions that. Oh on yeah, the phone. Bill, or Bill said she. Wrote, she mentions that she sent him a happy birthday note on her own. Yeah. From her. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And but she does uh, it at the very end of the scene, mm-hmm. punctuating the idea that she. And Bill are developing a relationship. a relationship in some way. Yeah. Um, and and uh, I, I love that scene so much because when the phone call happens, at that point, Margot loves Eve. Mm-hmm. She really does. Yeah. There's a couple of scenes where Eve kind of like, you know, comes in the room and says, I got this and I got that and I do, you know, and, and I change the curtains in the, in the yeah. thing and, and, oh, Eve, you're so great. And she's wearing Margot's old clothes. That, that's in the following scene, though. Oh, is it? That's in the scene where they, they start to really okay. like, get a sense of her. Um, it's been but, a while since I've watched But it. she gets this phone call, and Betty Davis is so great. Like, she kind of plays it half groggy, mm-hmm. and she's surprised. But she's kind of glad because she, she forgot about the birthday. Mm-hmm. But then everything Bill is saying doesn't make any sense. Mm-hmm. And she, he's had all this communication with Eve without Eve ever telling Margot or without Bill ever telling Margot. Mm-hmm. And it seems very suspicious to her. And she, like her face, mm-hmm. uh, at, when she hangs up the phone, she lights a cigarette and the camera just sits on her for a minute. Mm-hmm. And you can see that she is genuinely like worried mm-hmm. for the first time. And, and she's really getting a sense of, of, how much, how how much power she's giving even her life? Doesn't that scene, the phone call scene, happen immediately after the scene where Eve takes her dress and Margot catches her holding the dress up to her backstage? 
They have been very close they to do each other. They happen close to each other, but see, like that, I I felt like that was played differently. I felt like that was kind of like Margot almost thought it was kind of sweet. Like, oh, look at her. She wants to be a star too. How nice. Mm-hmm. Like that. That's kind of the sense that I got. Um, I I don't think Margot truly understands Eve until the phone call. Until after no, after until the, the morning after. The phone call is what really gets her the wheels spinning in her mm-hmm. brain. And then the next morning, I love the fact that she just casually asks Birdie, you don't like Eve, do you? Because Birdie is like, you want an argument. And, mm-hmm. she, and she's no, like... No, I want an answer. Right. But then Margot automatically takes the positive side of the argument. Mm-hmm. Because she wants Birdie to trash her. Yeah. Like, it's clear. Like, she's ready for it. She wants... She now sus- suspects mm-hmm. that Eve is not the person she thought she was. Mm-hmm. And she wants validation out of Birdie. Mm-hmm. And she Birdie's gets it. like, closest. And then on top of that, when Eve comes in and all the other shit happens, yeah. at the end of that scene, she, it's, it's a complete 180. It's done. She hates her. Yeah. Yeah. It's, I, I wrote down, because in that scene, when Eve comes in in that moment, she's wearing Margot's old clothes. Yeah. And Eve is like, I took them in a little bit, like here and there, right. to make he, them look... in a little out here. Yeah, yeah and yeah. she to, to make them look younger. And Margot even says like, it looks too seventeen-ish for me now. So like that age. Yeah, the whole age. And the, well, later in. at the party, she says a milkshake when, oh my when God. they ask Eve what kind of drink she wants. That, that's that. There's a couple lines. She's very bitchy. Like she's I love super her. bitchy. I love her. My one of my favorite lines from that party is when she she says to Bill, "There are certain aspects of my life which I would like total and complete." like soul access to and he goes for instance what and she goes for instance you and like i love that line i love and i love her dress can we talk about her dress for a second (laughs) because i don't know what happened to like fashion nowadays but like why the hell don't more women's dresses have pockets because her dress is gorgeous she looks phenomenal and she has pockets it was edith head it was designed designed by edith head Yeah. yeah A couple of, uh, Karen has an outfit later on too that has pockets because I wrote down like one, in one of my notes just like I was like pockets. Well, Karen has yeah. a very sensible costuming. Yeah. Her wardrobe is very sensible because she's, I, I really love, I don't want to pull, pull us off of this topic, um, but um, one of the things that I really love is that Karen has a very sort of like self-effacing, like, like when Eve is like, you, you know, you're Mrs. Lloyd Richards and mm-hmm. she was like, I'm the lowest form of celebrity. Mm-hmm. And, um, and earlier, when he introduces the main players in the opening scene, DeWitt says that. Mm-hmm. that she like She's in, the wife in, of the playwright. She's the wife of the playwright. And if it wasn't for that, she'd never get closer to the stage than the fifth row. Mm-hmm. Um, and <laughs> I, I, I love that line. And I don't know what the deal is, but like five is a big thing in this movie. Because mm-hmm. they talk about um, the, the fifth row. There's five main characters in the film and there was another five like there was a, a big deal and i like i can't remember what it was now but um yeah we'll come back to that if i think of it um, margo's party dress ace yeah Aces. yeah you like the costume i love that costume <laughs> it's pockets yeah. <laughs> um and in that scene we get marilyn monroe marilyn monroe well marilyn let's talk monroe. about marilyn monroe she's adorable i love i love her um it's so funny she had that line to addison well, not to Addison, to to Eve. Where Eve says, "Oh, I, I, I would bore him," and she goes, "Honey, you wouldn't even get to talk." Right. And it's funny because in the opening scene, Addison like makes some kind of like s- smug comment about like 
since the guy delivering the speech is an actor, he's going to talk for a while, but, like, Addison never shuts the fuck up. <laughs> like, ever. He, kn- he knows when, when to talk and when not to talk. I, I think. don't think so. Yeah. He just likes to hear his own voice. Oh, well, he has a great him. voice. George freaking Sanders. And also, his presence at the party. Margo says that she nixed him from the guest list. Did Eve just, like, re-invite him because she wanted him there? Yes. Okay. That's, that, that's the implication. Okay. Yes. Mm-hmm. Um... But yeah, uh, when when Monroe shows up, I love the line. Um, again, there's a lot of anti Hollywood sentiment in mm-hmm. that party scene. Yeah, um, and like an unnamed, unseen Hollywood starlet comes in with like a sable dress. Yeah, or sable coat. Yeah. Um, in comparison to like Karen was wearing a mink coat, and she said like it makes my mink sort. coat look like an old bed sheet. Or something yeah, like that. And, and and so the Hollywood star who had lots of money and stuff had a sable. She only stays for like five minutes. Right. Yeah. She literally, as soon as the coat's on the bed, they're coming back for it because they're, they're ready to go to a different party mm-hmm. or something like that. Um, but, uh, but the line that Monroe has where she says, that's something a girl could really, you know, um, make sacrifices for or something yeah. like that. And then the producer, Max, says, and probably has, or maybe Bill says that. Yeah. Um, and she says, ah, Sable. And Max says, Sable? Or are you saying Gable? And she says, either one. <laughs> <laughs> I like her. She has that. Why do they always look like sad rabbits? Yeah. <laughs> and she's she's funny. And she has that other little scene later well, on. She's a good counterpoint to Eve mm-hmm. because they're both after the same thing. They both want to be stars. They go so about it in very different, different ways. ways yeah. And Monroe um, has assets that Ann Baxter does not have. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and Ann Baxter's character, Eve, is certainly using her... Uh, deception and cunning um, and, and and really stabbing people in the back mm-hmm. to claw her way up the ladder. Whereas Monroe, even though she's also uh, seducing men and being mm-hmm. flirtatious to get what she wants, mm-hmm. it somehow seems more honest because mm-hmm. especially back in the day, that's kind of what you expected. Yeah. Um, and, uh, and, and so like, I, I like that she's, the, I think she's an important character to mm-hmm. kind of like counterbalance yeah. like the, the idea that Eve is so hard. Yeah. Like, there are many other ways Eve could get the things she wants. Look at what Marilyn Monroe is trying to do. Mm-hmm. But instead, she's she's really, like, fucking vicious. people up. Yeah, she's, she's vicious. Yeah. Pardon my French. Sorry. She has cut her fangs. Yes. Is cutting her fangs. This is how she cuts no, her fangs. No, I think she's cut them by the well, time she, she gets to Margot. Because mm-hmm. she had that, she had to get, she was she run was, out she of town. She had an incident where she, she was, was run, run out, of out of town, but she was run out of town. She didn't end up with the guy she wanted. She didn't get what she wanted yeah. there. She was run out she of town. She also, she's like, she, so, she like, she goes for the director. She, she was licking her wounds yeah. before. She goes for the director like she goes for Bill. He's like the top of the food chain. He's the director. Yeah. He gets shot down. Then she goes to the playwright and gets shot down. And she ends up with the critic who's like a monster. Yeah. It's perfect. Yep. Um, well, um, I don't know if you picked up on this or or if this is something that you would would kind of lead lend any credence to or not, but a lot of people sort of um, find a lot of uh, homosexual overtones in this movie um, between uh, Eve uh, and and then also Addison's character, uh, sort of being sort of like a uh, like a dandy. Like, uh, and I... not not only that, but also like like he has that line where he says. There's no reason why I should want you, um, but maybe that's exactly why I do, uh, kind of thing. Like, like I think I think as soon as you said Eve, like the thing that popped in my head was the the roommate, the, the roommate. Yeah. Um, but like, 
Well, there's I, also there's also that scene at the party where Betty Davis is drunk and they tell her to go to bed, and she tell she tells Bill, you know, what would you do? Carry me up the steps, tuck me into bed, take my clothes off, you know, and then slip out. Um, and then she says, I bet Eve would do it, and Eve says, if you want me to. And I think a lot of people are reading that as. I don't see that, but um, like I, I can, I mean, I can see it, but I didn't pick up on that. Okay. And I, I think that Eve. I, I don't know. I, 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 I didn't, I didn't put enough thought into. I, I think for like me, a queer reading of this. Um, I, I think Eve has absolutely zero chemistry with any of the men in the movie. And I don't mean I Anne Baxter. A, I mean Eve. Yeah. I, I, I think she, she really does not get how relationships work between men and women. Mm-hmm. She, she understands power dynamics yeah. and that's about it. But I think um, there, she knows how to get to women. I mean, she is a woman, so yeah. that, you know, that's easily explained in that way. But she gets a lot out of Karen. Mm-hmm. And, and there's that scene uh, when she blackmails Karen mm-hmm. and then she and gives the her a kiss. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's only on the cheek. But nonetheless, you know, that's, that's more than she ever, you know, she, she kisses Karen on the cheek. She, you know, kind of gives a very curious, uh, I, I don't know how to describe it, but there's a very curious relationship uh, between her and her roommate. You only get in one scene. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and, and once she does that, they kind of like go up the steps arm in arm, mm-hmm. uh, which, you know, could just be like a girlfriend thing. But I, I think, I think it's a very valid reading that she's oh, yeah. n- maybe not necessarily gay, maybe just sexually omnivorous. Yeah. You know, m- maybe, uh, you, maybe it doesn't matter. But I feel like for Eve, like she wants men who are already in a relationship. Like, well, and she that's wants like, people who can help her. But, like, all the men she goes after are just people who are in a relationship, too. Well, she goes after Addison, too, though. She uses Addison. But I don't think she goes after him And sexually. Addison allows that to happen. Well, but you don't know. Oh, true. Uh, I, I mean, and remember, the production code was there in 1950, so any kind of yeah. non, you know... Yeah. Uh, yeah, anything like that is going to be kind of and I didn't, like, I, I can or, see that reading, but I didn't... I didn't pick up on it, and I didn't read enough about it to, like, have a firm opinion either way. Yeah. I can see it, but I also see, like, the other side, too. Okay, cool. So. Uh, well, can we talk I... about Karen? Yeah. And how, Celeste like, she's Holm a horrible friend. <laughs> I, you know, she's, <laughs> she's really not. She makes one bad mistake, and she instantly regrets it. I know she instantly regrets it, but it's still, like, like you don't do that. Like, I can understand her intention. Like, she wants to give Margot a kick in the pants. Like, because she, she like, she's has these tantrums and she's ridiculous and she needs a taste of romance and, like, you get that. But, like, there are other ways to do that than, like, trying to sabotage. Because like, that's, like, trying to sabotage her career. You don't, you don't do well, that to somebody that you call your friend. At least, like, to me, like, that, you don't do that. I agree with you, but I'll play devil's advocate here. And I, I think, I, I think... Karen, as I said earlier, was completely out of the loop. At that, she was. At that point, you know, she is not on Eve's side, but not against Eve either. Mm-hmm. Um, and and Margot's being a complete bitch. Margot is is here, um, but like they're there. I mean, and I know like for the movie, it has to be more dramatic, and it works. Like it it works a hundred percent. 
Um, but, like, there are other ways to have, like, achieved that without, like, 100% achieving it. Like, she could have, like, set the clocks back 20 minutes. So she would have been 20 minutes late for curtain, but still could have gone on that night. Like, she, like she didn't have to drain the gas. Well, well, that doesn't do anything for her, that she's always late. They established that in the Not movie. to... It doesn't seem like to, like, the curtain, though. Yeah, but, I mean, I, I see what you're saying... It just I, bugs me. And you're holding her to a standard that you would expect, but Margot Margo is not an average person, and the average comeuppance would not teach her a lesson. Mm-hmm. She needs something that would really, as she says in the movie, give her a kick. Because Aunt Karen's um, like, she's like, when Margot finds out about it, you know, eventually she'll laugh about it. But like, no, right, she, but she, I, she believes never that would. though. She believes that, and and just like. Eve downplaying that it was a great performance by an understudy that'll be forgotten, which is something that she says, I think, twice mm-hmm. throughout the movie. Um, I think Karen buys that. She believes the same thing. Margot's the star. She's the biggest star on Broadway. So what if she misses one performance? Mar- it's going to be a big deal to Margot. It's not going to be a big deal to anybody else. Mm-hmm. And if it helps Eve, it helps Eve because she doesn't. She, it doesn't register with Karen that Eve that is Eve's such an evil, evil person. Yeah. You know, it t- takes and it still a little just while. Bugs me. And and it's not until because it's not until that scene in the car mm-hmm. when they reconcile because it's after the party scene when she breaks up with Bill or not after the party scene after the audition scene. Yeah, which is she, a great scene. So it really is. Um, but Margot um, breaks up with Bill or Bill breaks up with her, mm-hmm. um, and and they were all supposed to go away for the weekend. Mm-hmm. So instead of Bill and Margot, um, it's just Margot with Lloyd and Karen. Mm-hmm. And so the three of them go up, and th- she has not apologized mm-hmm. for her behavior, for being a complete bitch for the whole movie at that point. It's not until that car scene when she apologizes. True. And then so, Karen's and like, then, I'm so sorry. Right. Once she apologizes and once she gets... Because she doesn't just apologize. It's, I'm so sorry for all of this. It's, then, it's basically a therapy session. Yeah. You know? and, and it's at that point she realizes how, how horrible and, and sad and lonely and, you know, that Margot has become. And mm-hmm. how incredibly vulnerable she is about her age and about her relationship with Bill. And how she fears Bill wants a younger woman or will want a younger woman. If she was really... That she's not good enough in that way. Um, and, uh, and, and it's then that Karen like, is like, I'm so sorry I have made a horrible this. mistake here. But she doesn't, she doesn't tell her what she did at that point though. Like, no, she's like she able to have. skirt by, which is, I like that about the movie mm-hmm. because that's what the normal person would do. A normal person would fear the repercussions of such an act. Yeah. And then later down the road when she's able, because that's why she gives that, that the scene after, um, uh, she's blackmailed into letting Lloyd know then, that, that he should give the Cora part to Eve. And then Margot makes the revelation that she no longer wants to play Cora. That's why she just Celeste Holm has this terrific, like, outburst of laughter because she's so relieved, mm-hmm. you know? And, and not only is she relieved... Because she gets away with it. She get, Exactly. She's relieved for that, but she's also laughing because she doesn't have to give anything more to Eve mm-hmm. because it's over at that point. Mm-hmm. Uh, because Eve will forever think that Karen used her influence to make this mm-hmm. happen. And not to say she wouldn't again blackmail her in the future because mm-hmm. that's the kind of person that she is. Mm-hmm. But, but I like that about it. Yeah. I, I, because that's, that feels very real to me. Mm-hmm. Um, 
What? That dog squeaking is very oh real. <laughs> Buttercup. She wants to be a part. She's she's squeaking her thoughts. No. Go lay down. <laughs> we're going to have a pile of toys on the table by the time we're done. Anyway, I was saying it felt very real to me. No, I guess so. It's just like when I watch movies and I relate to characters or I like like from a movie perspective and like I can I, like appreciate it but like on a like an emotional level it just irritates me. And I read things very emotionally. Yeah. And it just like Karen just irritates me for that one reason. Well, Karen never Her gets... intentions are good for the whole exactly. thing, but her Well, her intentions are not her intentions are good in a in a manner of speaking because she wants her friend to just kind of like be taken down a peg to just get back to being Margot again. Yeah. You know, instead of being this prima donna mm-hmm. like, you know, drama queen. Mm-hmm. Um, so I, you're, yeah, I get that. Um, so she never gets her comeuppance, but certainly Eve does. Yeah. Because by the end, Margot is much more secure in herself, but the role, like Eve has succeeded in flipping the roles because in the car scene, Margot is like, you know, Margot Channing, like who, like, who is that? Like so many people know me. I wish I did. Like, what's the difference between me and Margot Channing? And then at the end, when Eve gets the award, and, you know, the her, she gives her speech and then she goes to Addison and Addison's like, the party's for you. And she's like, it's not for me. It's for this. What's the difference? Right. So she has, like, become what Margot was, like, all insecure about. She now has that. Right. Well, I, I assume, you know, and, and you've been around actors, that the idea that uh, that that fame is sort of like a... a, a well, I've not, not been around actors on uh, that Well, that's scale. true. That's I true. have been around Well, but you've been around some inflated. prima donnas. Yeah, oh, yeah, yes. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But uh, people who have inflated sense of self and yeah, but the like the idea that that fame is is uh, is is not something that enriches you. It's something that kind of does the opposite, mm-hmm. you know. You but then to, Eve goes off to Hollywood to make a film. Oh yeah, yeah, yeah. So um, so uh, yeah. So Addison has this whole thing against the picture people. Eve sort of kind of regurgitates that yeah she sort of basically buys into that same attitude because when Um, they're on the steps and talking about like the like the like that whole like hollywood versus like theater thing she she's like there's nothing like applause there's nothing like getting that bow at the the end instant gratification and getting the applause and you don't get that in hollywood well yeah that's true and and i i have heard that from many actors in interviews that their theater is live and and I don't mean it's just alive. Live, it is alive. Yeah. Uh, in a way that that energy. cinema only becomes alive on screen. Mm-hmm. Not you know. There's an um, energy because of the audience. Like it's like a it's a circular circular cyclical cyclical thing of like the audience has energy that feeds, feeds the, into actor, the actor the actor yeah. and it goes in a in a circle. Right. You know. But you know. I don't know. I can't even remember. The dog is just... But why is Eve going to make a Hollywood movie if she's so against it at the end? And Addison's so against, like, Hollywood. So, like, why is she going to do this? Well, because that's that's where the money is. That's what people do. That's, Mm -hmm. you know... It's... I I think... um, They talk about Eve giving, like, a terrific performance and that Mm -hmm. she's got a lot of talent. But the thing... revelation. Fire and music. Fire and music, yeah. (laughs) Um, But the, the thing that I think is Eve is power hungry Mm -hmm. um, and she wants to be adored. And this, this period in Hollywood is, is maybe when uh, cinema stars, Hollywood icons started to be 
it started to eclipse everything else and become the, the biggest celebrities in the world. Um, and so I, I think that maybe that that is representative mm. of, of the idea at the time that, that you, can, you can be a star on Broadway and, and you get a certain type of fame and a certain type of adoration. But if you really want to be adored by everyone, mm-hmm. you have to go to Hollywood. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, and Hollywood, they talk about it even, um, Eve, Eve has a line with Bill in that scene where she says, so few come back because the lore of Hollywood is so seductive mm-hmm. and, and the rewards are so high and so great. Um, and, and that's why she's going at the end. Because that's what she's really seeking. She's seeking the adoration, the popularity, the celebrity, the power of it. Um, and so, you know, I, I, I like that, you know. So what else you got? Um, Come on, you took like eight like, pages of notes. There's like, like little things. Like, I haven't um, looked at my notes once. There's like little <laughs> things that I really like about it. Like um, one, the script is like, it's like Spitfire. It's so good. Like there's just some killer lines. Uh, I love the line. They don't write. They do not write, write scripts, scripts like, like this, this anymore. No, they don't. They I don't. I love when um, after the audition, when um, they the, probably write theater like this still. They do, but they do not write movies no. like this anymore. But um, there's a great when when Margot and Lloyd are arguing about the play, and and Margot says all playwrights should be dead for three hundred years, and Bill is like that would solve none of their problems because actresses never die. And they, they continue to go back and forth, and, and it's really great. And even Max kind of has... When she storms into the theater in that scene, oh, she, in the I aftermath of the audition process for Eve, um, or actually not for Eve, she reads, but it's an audition for the Marilyn Monroe character. Yeah. Um, but they don't even, like... No one remembers even, her, yeah, yeah. She was reading or riding a pogo stick, right. I think is what Addison that, said. Um, it's another great line. Yeah, well, the scene where Addison reveals what's happened is a good scene. Yeah. And then it gets even better yeah. when she goes in the theater. Because she pretends like she doesn't know what happened, which well, is just, I like, I love her. Well, so I love much. because, like, one of the great things about this is that once the relationship between Eve and Margot starts to curdle, in the party scene, you get that scene where um, uh, she asks Max to do her a favor yeah. and to put her into the production office and to hire her. And he doesn't. And, and bury her there. And, uh, well, it's because of Karen mm-hmm. and Lloyd. Mm-hmm. Um, and Eve has other, Eve, Eve wants to get away from Margot and, and go Start a different route. So they, they, they both, uh, they both are looking for the same thing and they go about it in two different mm-hmm. ways. And, uh, and she gets very upset with Max. She also. walks in and she like throws her coat over his face. Right. She, she basically just drags her coat over his head on purpose, yeah. which, which is just a, a, just a little signature that I love mm-hmm. in that scene. Mm-hmm. Um, so, yeah. I love she's she's like she's like passive aggressive and I love everything about her because she walks in and she knows she has what Addison said in her head and she knows what happened but she pretends like she's clueless until she starts dropping these little like nuggets of like music and fire revelation and then right. Bill's like Addison. That's and because then, it's taking too long. She's got to lead them into and it. I, yeah, I, I love her. Like she's just so great. Um but she like right. she does that little thing to Max, and then like going. No, Missy. Stop interrupting me. Going back to the party, she has another little like thing that she does, um, where I can't even remember like the context of it. It's at the party. Um, Lloyd, she, Lloyd and Karen and Max have arrived, 
And Margot comes out to greet them. And Eve, like, has taken the coats upstairs. And Lloyd says, I really like that girl. And Margot blows her smoke in his face. Right, yeah. Well, because <laughs> at that point, she's getting that from everyone. Yeah, she, and she's Eve, done. Eve has, like, pulled the wool over everyone's eyes. And she's done. And, and Margot is just sick of hearing about how great Eve is. Because she not only knows differently, but there's also that element of you're just tired of hearing people praise somebody over mm-hmm. and over and over and over, yeah. and over again. You know, it's like when Titanic came out and everybody was like, oh, it's such a great movie. I love this movie. And then people got tired of Titanic. And then mm-hmm. they're like, oh, Titanic's not a good movie anymore yeah. because it's too popular. But and I like that. I like um, when when she's sitting at the piano with her little drink and she's like very sad. And like, it, like and she, she descri- just needs a hug. Yeah, Bill describes it as a wake and she says, yes, and I'm the corpse. She, yeah. He says, when are you going to lay the corpse out? And she goes, we're not finished with the embalming yet. Right. But you're looking at it. It's me. She's drinking heavily. <laughs> I love her. And she has that line, everybody has a heart except for some people. <laughs> and then um, Bill, she, she, she tells Max, because Max has like a heart, like he gets heartburn a lot, I guess. It's like a running gag. Right. And like... She says she's going to put his name on a special box of, like, um, antacid or whatever. And he goes, he's, he has that great line of something about, like, you can wave dollar bills all around you all, like, all you want. But, like, nothing, there's nothing like true friends. Also, she's toasted. <laughs> yeah. yeah, it's pretty great. The party scene's really, really it's good. It's really good. And that's where that line comes in, yeah. you know, fasten your seatbelts. It's going to be a bumpy night. Uh, which is maybe the the greatest line of her career. Yeah. yeah so, um, um, there's a couple of music cues that I really like. Like um, in the first scene that Eve meets Mar- meets uh, um, Margot. Like I mentioned, like they have that like really sad violin music that plays. She's talking about her dead husband who died in the war. Um, but when Margot goes into the bathroom and Karen and Lloyd leave and it's just her and Bill, the music kind of like changes key to like this lower key and it's not like quite sinister, but it's like... Yeah, yeah, when yeah. When I first watched the movie, I the first time I watched it, I didn't realize that Eve was like this crazy manipulative bitch until the phone call, kind of like Margot. But re-watching it and knowing it, like that music cue, like I was like, what? That's so cool. Oh yeah, here's, here's the other fifth thing that I was talking about. Margot calls Birdie a fifth-rate vaudevillian. Oh, yeah. So there, there's five main characters, and they talk about the fifth row and fifth-rate vaudevillian. There's just a thing with Mankiewicz loving five, the number five. So, I guess three times is a coincidence. Or two times is a coincidence, three times is a pattern. I'm sure there's probably more fives in, yeah. in the movie, but, uh, but yeah. Um, but I love how Eve just kind of like worms her way in by being useful. Yeah, you know, she 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 gets her way in by ha- having sort of like a sad story, but she kind of like gets even closer to Margot by being useful. Like mm-hmm. that scene in the airport where she's like, you know, I'll take the luggage and do this for you. Yeah, you know, like, you know, she ha- she has such a uh, it's seemingly sweet intention, but yeah, you know. So yeah, so this was a good first time watch. Um, yeah, no, I really liked yeah, it. Yeah, I, I I really enjoyed it. Um, Great scripts, good acting. Yeah, thank you for picking this movie, Chelsea, yeah. and thank you for joining me Thanks on this episode. Thanks for having me. And we had, thank you, Buttercup, <laughs> even though I shouldn't be thanking you, but yeah. everyone. She ever, likes to have a little cameo in every episode. Everyone, everyone at home, you know, waiting for that Buttercup bark once an episode. In this case, like 16 times an episode. <laughs> um, anyway. But yeah, 
Um, so yeah, you'll so, be back to Cesar next week. Cesar will be back next week, and we we should be picking up and doing charade as promised. Mm-hmm. Um, and, uh, and then we'll see where we go from there. So uh, in the meantime, Miss um, Chelsea, where can people find you on the internet if they want to talk to you? Um, I'm on Letterboxd at cdub seven one five, and I'm on Instagram at concocted reality, but. My page is private, but if you just request me, I will add you. So, yeah. And you're on Twitter as well. I'm on Twitter. It's cdub7152, but I don't use it that much. Okay. I need to be better about using Twitter. Ah, well, you can find me on Letterboxd also. You can find me on the uh, Celluloid Jelly uh, page of mm-hmm. Facebook. Uh, and you can find me on Twitter at uh, Setting the Frame. Uh, so thank you, guys. Um, and we'll see you next week. Bye. Bye. Celluloid Jelly was recorded using Google Hangouts, mixed using Apple's GarageBand software, and hosted by Podbean. For any inquiries related to Celluloid Jelly, please email settingtheframe at gmail.com.